Hello and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you so much for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and generally the use of sound for health and wellness. We're going back into our series on instrument makers, talking with Dustin Selva, the creator of Elemental Flutes. His life was shifting and sound was becoming a major part of his life. And that was really sparked by traveling the world. He had some um, experiences with healing ceremonies in the uh, Peruvian Amazon, sound healing ceremonies on the Hawaiian islands. And in one ceremony in particular, he experienced the flute and was just so drawn into its sound and its experience that initially he explored the flute by playing it intuitively and from his heart and then eventually exploring how to create flutes as well. And now over these years, he's developed his signature flutes, elemental flutes. And through this uh, podcast, you'll get to hear some of his flutes and see him demonstrate them as well. So it's just such a beautiful conversation exploring his journey, but also uh, being able to appreciate the beautiful sounds of his flutes as well. This podcast is sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. The Ohm Shop is located in Sarasota, Florida. And if you're able to go there in person, you'll see their luxury spa, the country's largest showroom of vibrational tools. So you can really explore some amazing uh, and custom things that they have there in the store. Also the Ohm Shop and Spa.com. You can see products and you can order online. And they are really uh, extremely helpful if you're looking for something specific and uh, they can really advise you if you are looking to up-level your sound healing uh, practitioner instruments. So thank you again so much to the Ohm Shop for their sponsorship and support of this podcast. Please welcome Dustin Salva to this podcast. Enjoy the episode. All right, welcome Dustin. Thanks so much for being here. And I would like to start looking at your background, I know actually uh, where you grew up uh, was influential to you when it comes to sound and spirit, but really anything that you feel has been influential in your journey into sound and spirit, of course, taking you and arriving uh, to where you are now and what you do now. Yeah, so I would say that where I grew up wasn't as influential. as like when I left where I grew up. Um, so I grew up in North Dakota and um, I lived right near the reservation and you know I had Native American friends and not really a part of the I wasn't really a part of the culture we never really like you know did sweat lodge or anything like that. Um, for me growing up I lived there until I was about 20, 21 and um, really you know struggled in my life in my early years um to the point where i ended up getting a dui and i had to like reassess my whole life and my dad and my brother were going to peru um and asked to go with them so uh, i went down there for a 10 or 11 day adventure where we went to all these different ancient sites and uh, it was really amazing it was really eye-opening to like leave the country and see this whole other world um and then the word ayahuasca somebody mentioned it and i was like 
what is that? And I couldn't get it out of my head, couldn't stop thinking about it. I looked at every book, every documentary I could, decided to take another journey down to Peru and uh, found a place called the Temple of the Way of Light. And I thought it was going to be more of a permaculture work exchange. Turned out to be more of a cleansing, healing, emotional journey and um, really just like rechanged everything for my entire life. I was down there for three months, um, drank the medicine uh, 20 times and really was like a reset on my system. So when I was down there, the last two weeks I met my wife. Um, so we've been together for about 10 and a half, 11 years now. And uh, we have two, three-year-old children. Um, but when I was down there, um, the last two weeks, one of the medicine men played flute. And so I'd be walking through the jungles uh, of Peru and hearing this flute off in the distance. And be like, what? This is amazing. This, this is really beautiful and enchanting. And so something about that just connected with me and never left me. So when I went back to Iquitos uh, in Peru, when I got out of the jungle, I went to go purchase my first flute and I couldn't um, communicate very well with the, uh, the driver, the taxi cab driver. So I ended up going, um, he drove me like an, about 40 minutes into the dirt roads back of, of Iquitos and brought me to his like nephew who could play flute and brought him out in the street and had him play flute for me. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want to buy a flute. <laughs> so that was like my first experience trying to get a flute and it just was eluding me. And I, so I never got a flute until India when my partner and I traveled there, um, a side blown flute, couldn't make it play. Don't know what happened to it. It's just like a $3 thing off the street from this guy with a whole backpack of flutes. Um, and so that was kind of like, you know, tr always trying to get a flute, never really actually got it until I ended up uh, in Maui. I purchased my first flute and started playing it. But um, yeah, there's a whole different avenues of, of ways we could go about discussing that. Yeah, so a couple things about what you just mentioned. Maybe um, you can mention if you had musical experience prior to discovering the flute, but also what it was that you feel maybe changed you when you were in those ceremonies in Peru. How I mean, you went there kind of with the intention of shifting your life. You really were at a pivotal point, it sounds just like. Um, how did it change you, uh, that ceremonial aspect as well? So probably in every single way it could. <laughs> um, before going down there, um, well, first I'll say a little bit of musical background. So I've um, like played French horn in middle school and then I played piano throughout middle school and I think I quit right before high school. Um, and I was decent, but I never really gave it a lot of attention, never really cared, didn't really why I was doing it wasn't excited about it to like really dive in deep. Um, and so, yeah, when I went down to Peru, it's a whole nother world of music with uh, the shamanic uh, singing of Shipibo. So they sing in their, their native language. So you have no idea what they're saying. And it's in this kind of melodic way, but like they go really high, really low and Sometimes it's rhythmic, sometimes it's, you know, all over the place, as well as you're drinking medicine. So it's, uh, it can kind of, you don't even know what, what's happening. Like <laughs> there's music, but it's like you're on a journey. So, um, 
that really was a just it opened me up emotionally to feel emotion again like before going down there i kind of lost how to hug how to really be supportive for another person how to even open up and express that i need support you know all of those different things um being down there i started hugging people again and feeling emotion feeling joy feeling sadness and it was really really powerful so after leaving that it was just kind of like a the journey to figure out how to integrate all of that right and um one other question about the first things that you said is that you didn't realize how influential where you grew up was until you left so now that you're not there anymore what does that mean to you what what do you take with you from north dakota the biggest thing is just um not necessarily the people but the the spaciousness of north dakota like north dakota for me i grew up in devil's lake which um there's a couple different jokes i always share it's like you can step up on a matchbox and see across the entire state you know it's super flat you can see your dog run away for two weeks it's like you know cornfields wheat fields and that's it um but for me, when I go other places, so I've lived in Colorado, I've lived in now in North Carolina, I've lived on Maui, I've lived in Kauai, I've been down to Costa Rica, all over the place. There's, there's very few places that are like North Dakota where you just 360, everything is flat, you can see sunset, sunrise, and then the wind nonstop, like there's wind all the time. And for me, the wind element, whenever... I'm, you know, working with um, plant medicines and I'm outside and I feel the wind. There's just this connection. And then it always brings me back to the flute, which just this daily deep connection between all three for me. It's just for whatever reason, the flute um, found me and it called to me and I started learning how to make it. And um, North Dakota has always been kind of like the backdrop for that, the feeling of the wind. Anytime I feel it, uh, it brings me back home to that spaciousness. Right. Yeah. Right. When I think of uh, what element uh, the flute kind of activates, that would be the wind. But of course, all the elements uh, can be combined into how the, the flute is made, but also, you know, the kind of uh, personality that can come through as you play it. Yeah. So uh, before you started making flutes, were you working on just playing it for yourself or um, I guess just kind of the the journey into flute after those first experiences, hearing somebody else play it, what happened next? So yeah, uh, my partner and I went back, I'll just share one more story. We went back to the Temple of the Way of Light. And when I was there, I met someone who was an older man, uh, not old, but like, you know, like 50s, uh, mature. And he um, had such a presence about him and every time he would get up in the circle where we were all sitting and we we're all sharing our experiences he would share his experience he would cry he would be emotional but he'd be super strong at the same time and he would play flute every time and he was really good so that was another like connection for me i was like i really need to get one of these <laughs> this is like really powerful how he holds himself in his presence and playing the flute is just so powerful to listen to because it's it's expressing yourself um, as deep as you possibly can with through music, through an instrument, because for most, um, 
I would say that my favorite way to play is from the heart. So there's no nothing behind it. There's no I'm just whatever comes out comes out. Um, and so when I first learned how to play, I picked up a, a high spirits flute, which is one of the most common flutes that you can pick up for a Native American style flute. And uh, I would just start playing, you know, and I had no idea what I was doing. So I was making all sorts of random noises, trying to see what I could come out of it. Don't know the scales to the point where my wife's every time I'd play would be like, are you done yet? <laughs> so I would stop and I would like, once I got a chance, I'd pick it up again. Um, and it wasn't until I did another um, ayahuasca ceremony on Maui with a friend of mine who played a double flute. And the entire time he played, I was just receiving, I need to make my own flute. I need to make my own flute so I can understand like it in a better way. And so that there's nothing in between like the maker, the, the making of it to me playing it. It's just, I know where it all came from. It's, um, and that's been kind of my journey is, is from that moment, I went and bought some tools, um, so as simple as possible, um, started in my, my, uh, wasn't even a garage. It was, uh, um, just like a carport where you drive into it and started, making a, a couple flutes uh, from YouTube videos and how to do it really weren't that great. <laughs> and so it was just this, um, it was really fun though to like make something that makes a noise, that makes a melody that like you are intimate with because you know like the squeaks, where it plays well, where it doesn't and try and tweak it. What happens if I do this? What happens if I do that? It just hooked me. I couldn't stop trying to make flutes or trying to make them better. Um, and so that was kind of the starting point to the making of flutes. Yeah, nice. So initially as, you know, just playing flutes, it seems like it was quite intuitive and, and from, from the heart, from the spirit that you just wanted to also integrate that into your making. So what was the first flute you made that you were like, oh, that's good. <laughs> Do you still remember that flute after the first kind of trial and error once? Uh, so the weird thing about me is I, I literally have one flute that I've made myself that I, that I kept and I did it two weeks ago. <laughs> so, so I've been making flutes for like six or seven years now. I've sold hundreds of flutes, uh, made all sorts of combinations, different woods, different styles. And every time I go to make myself a flute, I could be like, well, I could just sell it, you know, and I could you know, use that money for my life for what I need to pay rent and all these different things. And, um, I was never attached and I always knew I could make another one. So it, there's all these different keys that, so every single flute I make, I play, and then I end up giving it to somebody, selling it on my website, whatever. And, um, it's amazing, like how many flutes and how many styles and how many things I've made. And, I'm really like the first flute that I wanted to make myself is still the one that I wanted to make myself. Like, and I've made so many different kinds that are way beyond that. Like this is a very, I mean, it's a triple flute, but it's a very simple version of it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my journey. And I would say like, I still have my very first one. Um, for some reason I went to Home Depot and bought Redwood. I don't know why the guy next to me was like, wow, you're buying some gold there. And I'm like, 
yeah, well, I don't know what that means, you know? <laughs> and then I got it and I worked for seven years. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I actually bought redwood to do that. Like I'd rather leave that in the woods, you know, now. So all of the wood that I get now is from a tree trimmer and he gets um, all of his wood from trees that they cut down and then they mill up themselves. Um, they're over in Florida. Or also get it from a friend of mine on Maui who does his own furniture making and he has offcuts from projects that he does and I get that wood. And so a lot of people ask me for specialty woods and I'm like, I, I don't really know where it came from. I don't know who harvested it. I'd rather not, you know, work with that kind of wood. So, um, yeah, basically my, my first flute was uh, that piece of redwood in the key of F sharp. And I just wood burned all over it, made all sorts, like, I was just practicing on it. It looks terrible. But, like, I even have a hole I drilled in the wrong spot, put a crystal on it just to cover it back up. Um, and it's, it's just so much fun, though, to, like, even just make those errors and, and, you know, fix it. What can I do better next time? And I've never stopped. Every single time, I'm still tweaking and adjusting. I have a a specific design that I've come to that works very well, but I'm always like, maybe it could be a little better. Maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do that. And yeah, it's, that's why I've never really like been like, all right, I'm going to make myself a ton of flutes or make myself this specific flute because I'm always searching for that, that right sound. And I feel that I've found it for myself and, and for my work. Um, that's why I'm like, well, as well as I've got all these other instruments and I'm really feeling a, uh, call to do more sound healing. Um, so now I'm like, okay, now I have all these other instruments. I know what sounds I want them to, to go with them in a flute format. So that's why I'm starting to make my flutes now. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so two follow-up questions on that. Maybe um, the main woods that you work with and do you know, are they pretty like distinguishable when you play the flute that they that the woods have a complexity, you know, and that kind of their voice comes through depending on the wood. And then, yeah, the question about, um, do you make the flute and then it tells you what key it's in or do you make them a certain length and width and, and you know, calibrate them to be a specific tuning? So the wood, as far as its resonance, every single wood has a different density and Yes, it's going to have a specific tonality, but even the same type of tree will have a different tonality from piece of wood to piece of wood. So, uh, for example, koa wood is only found in Hawaii, um, and it's very common for guitar making and instrument making, um, so much so that there's less and less and less of it because it's only found on these small islands and everybody wants it, so it's getting more and more expensive. There's less of it. So... Um, it's it's a very tonal wood and it sounds amazing and it can be super dense and it can be super light so it's it varies so much that people are like wow like what's your favorite wood is it koa i'm like depends there's a certain type of koa i love to work with but also a really dense koa is, is really nice but it's also heavier and has a different acoustic quality to it but a really light could be really nice for this key um because it's a heavy flute and a larger flute you want it to be a lighter wood and it can resonate a little differently. So yeah, each each key kind of has its specific wood that works well, um, as well as um, more so for like weight and playability. So like a really large triple flute, you don't want to make it out of a really dense wood because it's going to weigh a ton. Um, 
but it may sound really good, but you're going to be working out the entire time you're holding it. Um, so yeah, there's so many different aspects to it. So, um, there's other aspects to it too, where people ask me, well, does adding gemstones into the flute change the quality of the sound? It's like maybe very minor but you can't tell. Um, does, you know, doing a different piece of wood on the end cap change the tonality? Maybe, but it's such a small amount. It's not going to change it too much. Um, those are kind of the main questions that I get asked, but if the we go through the kind of the woods that i work with um i started working with kind of like the main woods of like maple black walnut um and cedar so those were kind of the three and then my woodworker friend keeps adding me like sends me this free sample and i'm like well that's an amazing flute too so i buy a bunch of that wood too so now i work with a uh, sweet bay magnolia poplar uh, camphor camphor is one of my favorite woods to work with I'm a little bit hesitant to continue working with it. Um, if, have you ever smelled camphor or do you know much about camphor? So camphor is like um, Vicks Vapor Rub. And so if you put it through a machine that just creates sawdust, the entire shop smells like Vicks Vapor Rub, um, wood, uh, Vicks Vapor Rub. And it's incredible. And the smell will carry through to playing with the flute. Um, but I've been dealing with a little bit of like gut health issues here and there. And I'm like trying to pinpoint what it is. And camphor used to be in like a Vicks Vapor Rub. I'm not sure if it was specifically that. Uh, it, it is in Tiger Balm, I believe. Um, and they took it out because they found that it was toxic to children and at higher doses it can be toxic. So I'm kind of lenient of like having a ton of dust and smelling it and breathing it in all the time, working with it a lot. I used to suggest it to everyone because it was my favorite wood to work with because of the smell and the sound and the, the workability with the machines. Um, so that's one of them that I work with. And that is actually the first flute I made for myself was camphor. I was like, well, if I'm going to stop using camphor at some point, I should make one for myself. Um, and so then in poplar is really amazing. It's a lighter wood, but has a really like really crisp, clear tonality, similar to a hardwood. Um, so it kind of has those two qualities that people are looking for is like a lighter piece of wood that um, has this clear tonality of like a denser wood. Um, Cedar, aromatic cedar is one that I use. It also has a really fragrant smell, thus the aromatic cedar um, name. And its resonance is really strong and really powerful. Um, and then the other ones like mango, sweet bay magnolia are very similar. And I use a maple that's found in Florida that's similar to those three in density. And they all have a similar tonality that's in between a softwood and in between a hardwood. That's it's like hard to describe sound, but it's like not super crisp and sharp, but it's not airy. It's just kind of a more mellow sound. Um, and I, I don't necessarily have a preference to sound, to be honest, because I, all of my flutes, I try and get as clear as possible. The resonance changes and it doesn't really affect or bother me too much as far as like the change in the tonality or resonance. Um, as long as it's a clear flute, I, I like the sound of it. Yeah, nice. And then, um, yeah, going into frequencies and tuning a little bit, um, I'm sure you get special requests for what you want it to be tuned to, but at least in your initial developments, did you just make a flute and then see what key it was in? 
or are there specific ways to, all right, this size, this diameter, this width, you know, can determine uh, the tuning? So, yeah, exactly. Um, basically, when I started, I, I found a, a book. Um, I found, like, the length of where the holes go, and I found the bore size needs to be, like, a 7 eighth inch bore or 1 inch bore for a specific key. And all of that really matters. So... I used to basically experiment and try different things and then the hole placements would be completely off, be giant finger holes or really too small and really squeaky and it took, you know, I'm still refining hole placement because there's, um, for example, you have a high F sharp is really small and a bass F sharp is really big, but you have 24 keys in between all of those. So that's a lot of hole placements to figure out. Um, and then also you're trying to figure out what bore size because not everybody has given out like exactly their measurements and their uh, placements and any of them that I found I don't I don't use and I don't lead I don't use their methods um, I've tried and it doesn't work for me so they have a specific way of making um, this top part here like a, a block they have a specific method for that which will like work just for their flute in the way that they make their flute play and if you change that or vary that the whole placements won't work the same so uh, it's it's really interesting on uh trying to go through all that and learn when there's very little to learn from the biggest place that i found was uh, flutipedia.com and they have a website for making flutes and then there's like a page on uh, I believe it's like it goes through the different bore diameters and hole placements and all this different stuff. And there was one page I read like 30 times. I was like, it was really, really well done. And I would vary off of it all the time until I kind of came back to what they had suggested initially and then had to figure out. So that made it play. And then I had to figure out how to where to put the hole placements. So what I would do is I would make a flute and I would figure out how many um, cents off it was on the cross fingerings because on a on a six hole Native American style flute you can get a chromatic tuning it's very challenging to do that when you have to cross finger where you're holding some notes down that you don't normally do and then like you have two notes that work with the same hole so you have to figure out how to get both of those in tune so that's moving the holes up and down and then it's in relationship to all the other holes. You move one, it changes another. Move another, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. So what I figured out is like, there's a specific diameter. There's a specific way that I make the flute play. And there's a specific hole placements by percentages. So however long the flute ends up being, I take that percentage and then apply it to where the holes go. So if the flute's 10 millimeters longer, the hole placements will change. Versus a lot of the books that I read don't necessarily say that. They're like, for a 7 8 inch bore, for a G, the holes go here. And I'm like, well, that's going to change the size every single time you make a flute. So it was, it was a lot of learning and a lot of mistakes. Experimentation and math and yeah, recalibrating. Well, how about, um, I would love for you to demo some of your flutes, the different styles from, you know, the single to the drone. And I remember seeing you... Um, do a demonstration where you can actually change maybe through plugs 
what notes are playing. So maybe just kind of go through the progression of, of what you offer. I would if I had all of those flutes. <laughs> so <laughs> since I sell all my flutes, um, actually I do have a single flute, but I don't have it down here with me right now. But I have literally one in my house, like one single flute. Um, so I have currently, I, let's start with the simplest. Uh, this is a, a double flute in aromatic cedar. Uh, this is in the key of E, so it's a little bit bigger. Um, so for example, I believe this one's a little bit smaller. The key dictates the size. So if you line up the top blocks, one's shorter than the other. Um, so as you go progressively deeper, it'll get progressively longer and progressively the bore sizes will start getting bigger. So everything about the flute gets bigger and everything about the flute gets smaller with the key. So um, this is the key of E and you can play it as a single flute by blowing out of one hole or as a double by playing through both. Um, and I'll play it as a single um, just so you guys get an example of like a single flute. Um, there's really not much difference uh, in getting a double flute if you want to play a single and have the option as a double, except that you're reaching over and it's a little bit harder to learn on with like doing embellishments. Um, but yeah, here's the single flute. And so with a double flute, you're literally just blowing into the second side. And this particular one plays the lowest note of the playable side. So this is in the key of E. The low note here is the key of E. And so you can hear this like secondary note playing along with it. And when I first heard that double flute that made me want to make flutes, there's just something about it that's just like the harmony of it just creates this kind of tingling down the spine that's just amazing. And it's never left. Every single time I play a flute, I'm like, this is amazing. So I'm glad I found something I enjoy so much. Um, so let's go here. So this is uh, a triple flute, and I don't necessarily make these all the time. This is the one I made for myself. Um, normally I would put a cross brace, um, but I made it like two weeks ago, and I'm just, at some point I'll get to it. <laughs> I'll add a cross brace. But this is in the key of F sharp, so it's a little bit higher than the, the key of E. Uh, this is in camphor. And I will say also, I don't know any other maker that does this. Um, the totems are changeable. So up here, these are totems or blocks, fetishes. Um, there's so many different names, birds. Um, and so I have three different ones that will change the frequency to 440. And this is in 432 right now. So when I was making flutes, I would find that changing the block would lower or raise the frequency. And I was like, well, I wonder if you could just make two different blocks. So you could have one and one and one and the other, and it works very well. Um, so this is in 432 at the moment. 
um, and it's in F sharp. This was my very first flute uh, that I wanted to make myself. And I made, I think, two or three of these uh, in aromatic, uh, aromatic cedar or cedar for a few people. And every time I'd be like, this is such an amazing flute. I need to make myself one, but never have like the time or I don't know, something about it wasn't right when I wanted to make it for myself. And so that particular style can be in a double. So it's an A frame. That's a triple A frame. Um, these are uh, called shotgun style, as looks like a double barrel shotgun. Um, and then you can also make triples in the same manner, where there are three different flutes in a line in the same wood, or you could do different woods or match it up. Um, this one is F sharp, F sharp, and C sharp. So that flute I just played was F sharp, and this one could be the same, but this is a different style. So if I were to make that as a, a single piece of wood, you would just have all these the same length, and one of them wouldn't have any holes in it. So this is a whole different style. Um, this allows you to do a bunch of different things. So originally I first saw this style made by Dana Ross with falcon flutes, and I thought it was really cool, so I made like... Um, I think I made one or two of them, and then I was approached by uh, this um, doctorate in saxophone performance. His name was uh, Dr. Justin Rolfson, and he was like, I like the concept. Let's take it further, and I was like, oh, God, <laughs> like what, what are we doing here? So I was like, yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Um, so what we did, we ended up plugging every single hole and adding three more, and I liked it. It's, I mean, I still make them and I can like, it's the same flute. You just add plugs. So you just plug everything. And what it gives you is like 20 different flutes. So with the different combinations, like it's crazy. Um, this, I like to keep it three here and do the two different flutes and mostly play it as a single double or a single and double never really as a triple because it gives me so much versatility without putting the flute down. It's really nice. Um, but with the, all of the plugs in there, if you t if you were to plug these top three here and the top three here and play the outer bottom sides, there's a flute called the Mayan Temple Flute, and that's what this is. So you could play these bottom, and it creates a ceremonial Mayan Temple Flute, and you're, it's the same flute. And then you can also play it as a single minor pentatonic or a single minor pentatonic or as a double with four different drone notes or as a double with four different drones. So it gives you this whole range of what you can do with it. Um, and there are people that will spend, you know, like 
five to eight hundred dollars on a flute that's a double or triple that's a mayan pentatonic or that's a maya uh, mayan temple and that's it that's all you get out of it so this gives you like 10 different flutes and you're paying kind of the same price with like three different plugs or and a couple extra holes you know um so this is a uh, high c sharp this is f sharp and this is f sharp and if i were to remove um, all three of these plugs, I get the same drone, um, the low note of this flute here, so the C sharp. So, and then you can also switch over and play the other side. So it gives you this like versatility, and then you could also put in um, the plugs back in and play it as a low note, as a like a low drone, with your C sharp or with your F sharp. So. the variety of it is amazing just with those three little plugs so then you could get it with all these other plugs um, and this style I have um, three of them currently but I'm one of them is uh, I sent it to Johnny Lipford who's another uh, performing uh, Native American flute player as well as um, he does a lot of teaching and a lot of lessons and his a lot of songs he's, he's really cool so uh, he's going to do a review on one of them, um, of that flute and another bass uh, drone flute. So I'll actually, I have one more I'll show you. Um, this gives you kind of an idea of like design work. So I, I do a, a, a fair amount of design work for people and they come to me and they're like, I want it wrapped with like crushed inlaid 10 different stones and like I'm like okay calm down <laughs> like I can do it but just you know take it take a breath and so um, this one was someone I had an idea of and it was an owl crushed in opal and it's a couple different opals and it's very simple um, but the opal just gives it this shine I really love it um, this is bass D so um, the first one I played was E so it's just a, a step below it and um, it, the only difference is you have three plugs on this side and you can change the drone note by taking out the plugs. So um, I showed you a little bit on that other flute. I'll do it one more time here. So you have the low note. You could change the drone note. switch sides and play it in the harmony style. So again, like it's very simple adding three holes, but it gives you so much versatility. 
um, that it's almost kind of like, well, why not? You know, and it's, it's really, there's not much like, you don't need to be an advanced student to have three plugs in and leave them there. And every once in a while, take out a plug, you know, so um, those are kind of all the different variety uh, that I make, except for one other one. Um, the step further that we took it um, with Dr. Justin Rolfson, he came to me and was like, let's do something that is an octave apart with a fifth in the middle. Well, it's technically a fourth and a fifth on either end. But so you have, say you had a mid-range F sharp, then you go uh, higher to a C sharp, and then you go higher to the octave above F sharp. So we did three different flutes all attached in one. So they're all different links. It looks like a pan pipe with like 18 holes in it. So actually he does th um, thumb holes in each one. So there's 21 holes in the flute um, with plugs in every single hole. And it gives you this versatility of like, uh, he knows a lot about music theory and, and how much you can do with that. But just the simple stuff you can do is really phenomenal. Um, so yeah, those are kind of all the basic ones. And there's a single one I actually didn't show you, but yes. Oh, absolutely beautiful. Wow. And um, yeah, so there's an aspect there about the drone. I think that's really important to note. I think there's, when we start to talk about the therapeutic aspects and using drone and sound healing, and earlier you mentioned you want to get more into the sound healing aspects of this. Uh, what do you feel, you know, going from a single to adding that drone note? just for you and your own experience what what's so important about that drone aspect when it drops in i guess for me it just catches my attention like for a single flute everybody's heard a single flute i mean maybe not a native american style flute but most people have like getting a massage or it's it's played a lot of places um but a double flute isn't necessarily played a lot of places and when people hear it they're like what is that like what what's happening right now and with a, t uh, a triple flute it's something beyond that and with a double or a triple when you're playing the harmonies and you're playing two flutes at once for me the reactions when i play for people in public they're just in awe they're like what is this like i've never heard something like this before and that's for me like what i love to to like bring out of people is this like sense of excitement like even though you're going super deep and you're you're doing um you know really inner work and you're you're calming down um when i would do the ayahuasca ceremonies with my friend on maui he would beatbox he would play the shruti box and a drum and beatbox and overtone sing all at the same time and there was something about it that i was like this is mind-blowing this is like incredible and there's something about that feeling where you get shivers in your body and you're just like excited and like what is this that i i love to try and bring out of people um at least in part of like what i want to do so there's like really deep calm meditative inner work and then there's like you know bringing this sense of joy and excitement out that i think something in the brain makes you feel happier in general you know I think that is one beautiful thing about the fluid is, gosh, it can be so playful, right? It can be so joyful and uplifting, but it can be extremely mystical and uh, take you take you somewhere else. It can be extremely meditative. And yeah, I think with that drone aspect, um, to me, when you have that tone being held, whether it's the shruti box or you've got your double, triple flute, you can feel the tension. You can feel the tension when those notes 
come close together. And then as they come into harmony, um, I think being able to have that in one instrument, um, yeah, I can just create all these shifts uh, at, this, at the same time as you're playing it. Yeah, it's really beautiful. So kind of in where you, you're talking about what, where you're wanting to go, maybe just, uh, you know, take a moment to reflect on how much you've grown through doing these flutes. I mean, you've really developed this quite quickly um, and uh, been working with them and perfecting them. How do you feel that they've changed you and what's, uh, what's pulling you now? What, what are you inspired to do next with the flutes? I would say honestly, like the flutes haven't really changed me too much. Having twins changes changed me. <laughs> that was very challenging and still is, you know, they're, they just turned three yesterday. So they're toddlers and they're, you know, my son just didn't go to sleep for his nap. I just tried to put him down. So, um, three years straight of that and not living near friends or family. We moved here from Maui. Um, not knowing anybody right when the pandemic hit. So we've been here for three years, barely haven't been out to meet very many people and having um, toddlers or babies to toddlers has been the most challenging and, and like enriching and, and uh, amazing experience of my life. So um, I'm looking forward to teaching them how to play flute once they are calm enough to sit down for 20 seconds instead of two and be able to pull the flute and try and make some like melodies with it, you know? Um, and I think for me, I think in the future with flutes in general, where I want to go with them is, is what I really wanted to do from the get go is teach myself how to make my own instrument for myself to play. Um, is kind of what I want to do for others is to give them that experience of like, I want to teach you how to play a, make a flute for yourself, for you to play. A lot of people that I've taught, they tend to want to make a business out of it. And that's not something I really want to intend to like teach people how to do because it's, for me, it's very challenging to like work eight hours a day making flutes all like, and for clients around the world that are, you know, it's it's very challenging you know i have three months of, of client worth of clients to like make flutes for that it's um it's a it's with twins to try and manage all this is quite a lot so um what i really want to do is try and bring the flute into sound healing and teach people how to bring it into sound healing and how to bring in their own flute that they make into their own sound healing um that's kind of the biggest thing like this next year is kind of my goal is how do i bring that forth um, and also bringing in sound healing in general for myself. So I have, uh, I have one album that I've created for playing, uh, just solo flute and it's called the breath of life. It's when I had kind of like a plethora of flutes, all I don't have, I have one of them, I think still from that album, all of the rest I've like sold. Um, it's, it was just all done in my closet, all from the heart just every single one was like one and done kind of a song so it, for me i really want to do more of that but with more uh, elements so for example with ringing bowls shruti box didgeridoo with combinations of doubles and triple harmony flutes and try and bring it all together into something cohesive and create an experience of either an album or sound healing journeys and then also you have the ability to do 
multiple different keys. So you could work through the chakras of like, let's do the keys of A and what works well with the key of A, let's do a, a base D and then let's do, you know, a high E, you know, and you can get this crazy um, combination of keys and melodies just with flutes. Adding in these other elements is really powerful. So that's kind of on my horizon. It's like to really hone that in. And I will say I did a, the other album. Um, I had somebody come by and do a documentary of me making a triple flute. Um, he stayed for two or three days. We made the triple flute. He videoed it all. He made it, edited it, created a cool 15-minute documentary, and then we created a four soundtrack, uh, four song soundtrack to the to the documentary, and it was really amazing. Um, he did 99% of it. I just played flute. That was super easy for me. <laughs> it's just like give me something to play to it, and I can play to it, you know. Uh, but it turned out really amazing, and so I think me and him are going to collaborate again as well. So I'm I'm looking forward to working with him too. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great lesson. It was a wonderful driving music for me just the other day. Well, that's great. Yeah, you such you have such a beautiful path ahead of you of how to integrate this as it develops and blossoms, and uh, you know how you navigate. You know, keeping it so it doesn't feel like work because there is so much joy and, and beautiful creation in what you can do and bring it to others. But that's right, you have to find that balance of, uh, you know, how can I keep this, th in the therapeutic aspects of it for myself, <laughs> but also and offer it to others as, as they're finding their way. Any recommendations for somebody in trying to get into this? There are so many different types of flutes. Um, yeah, any recommendations you have for a beginner? And for example, like a person with really small fingers, can they play a triple flute? Yeah, so that's a great question. I mean, it's the number one question I get asked, like what flute should I get first? And it's, it's, it's a challenge to, um, to know the person, you know, um, how big are your hands? How, how, how strong are you? Can you play a bigger flute relatively easy? Have you played piano before? Um, do you have dexterous fingers? Do you play guitar? It makes it a lot easier. Have you had experience with clarinet? Like there's all these different things. So the biggest, um, tip I always give her the, what I narrow it down to is, is kind of the mid range, um, the key of A, G, F sharp are the three main keys I always suggest. And if you wanted to, you could go to F. Um, e tends to be just a little bit bigger. Um, it's a bigger bore size, making it a bigger flute. The keys of A, G, F sharp tend to be the same um, bore size and relatively close hand spacing or hole spacing. Um, those are the three that I would suggest, and they could be doubles. It's not that challenging to play it as a double in that key range. And if you wanted to do a triple, I would say if you had smaller hands, to do A or higher. Um, and just because A tends to be a smaller bore, it's a smaller length and the holes are smaller, and it's easier to reach. Um, so that's kind of my recommendations. And I would say as a beginner, don't get a triple. Um, a lot of people are inspired and then they message me back going, this is too much. Like, I don't know where to begin. You know, it's really challenging to learn it as a single because there's so much you can do with it that I think they just try and do double and triple like playing with it. And then they get frustrated that they can't where it's really important just to learn how to play a, like a, a single flute, either on like a single or double 
because with the double you're stuck to just having a drone like you you know like you can play it as a single or play it as a double with a drone um and it keeps you grounded to just learn how to play the flute if you add that triple aspect with other holes it just makes it confusing for people yeah less is definitely more when you're starting any skill right start simple and then you can build up to it yeah yeah you don't want to have that initial frustration right away so um yeah i mean i definitely think it sounds like you're going to lean into a bit of the coaching mentoring more too to help people discover um how to find their, their flute or make their their own flute but any um guidance if somebody was going to reach out to you to make a custom flute besides um, you've got a waiting list but what else uh, should people consider if they are going to reach out to you I'm debating on continuing doing custom orders. So um, I haven't really shared that with my, very many people. It's just like, um, it's very challenging. It's like having 20 bosses. And if you have deadlines that you can't meet, it's you have to message 20 people saying, hey, I'm late, hey, I'm late. And it's just a lot to like um, navigate as well as each person wants a, something different. So um, it gets to be a, a lot for me. So I'm tempted to basically go to, I only take custom orders when I have nobody on the list. So I make it, it's done, I send it out. That way, like if I need, I'm, I'm renting right now in North Carolina and we're looking in the future, like our ideal mission is to have land that we live on that we take care of. And if we had to move or do something along that lines, like I can just drop shop and go and there's nothing, nobody's waiting for me to make them 20 flutes, you know? So that's kind of where I'm at now. I have, um, I think about 20 orders right now that I'm working through, which will put me um, through a month or two months. Um, so I'm looking maybe of starting to take custom orders um, in that fashion of taking one or two a week, maybe um, in early December, maybe early next year. Awesome. Beautiful. Um, well, thank you so much for, for obviously playing your instruments for us. They're so beautiful to hear and for explaining how it's become this way for you. It's really beautiful that, um, you know, initially it was a personal experience uh, that really sparked your inter interest and um, all it's become for you. It's just, you've been truly guided uh, to this path and it's, it's really beautiful. To, to hear about it. So thank you so much for all you've shared with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I have listened to you in the past. Um, like a couple of years ago, I started listening to your podcast and I really appreciate your style of, of questioning and letting the person speak. And you have really great questions. So I really appreciate you having me on here and letting me share what, I, what it is I do and who I am. Thank you so much, Dustin. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Sounds Heal Podcast, sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. And keep up to date with what's coming up next at soundshealstudio.com. Check things out on Facebook at Sounds Heal Studio. And you can listen to all previous podcasts, as well as music meditations, on the YouTube channel at Sounds Heal Studio. Be well and stay tuned. <laughs>